Let me just say this. Yeah. It feels great to be off Zoom. Oh, I, you Zoom look like better. Prison. Damn, your head's back to a normal size. Good morning. Oh, Hi. hey. Good morning. Whoa, your head's big. Holy cow. You know what? You know what? I felt like in Zoom, I feel like General Zod trapped in that yeah. square that right. floated through space in Superman right. 2. Well done. Well done. Some of the highlights or lowlights, as the case may be, of Wednesday's PFT Live. It's Thursday, and Miles Simmons is here. Not only did he get up extremely early Pacific time, but he's doing it on a Thursday, whereas in the offseason, it's more often for him to do it on a Friday. Good morning, Miles. How are you? Uh, I'm good, Mike, but if you remember last week, I was also here on a Thursday as Sims did three days during the week. So, you know, I, I am used to. I don't remember that. <laughs> I, I got sick over the weekend and it operated as a hard reset on my brain. Apparently so. And there are a lot of things going on in that. Control brain, so. alt delete of my brain. Yeah, I guess so, man. Yeah. Well, you're another Thursday closer to death. How about that? Oh, trust me, I'm well aware of it after everything that's gone on in the course of the last seven days or perhaps the last, I don't know, 11 hours. But Uh people say that we are their respite from reality, from the stresses of day-to-day modern life. And for me, some days, this two-hour window is the same thing. It is nice. It is so nice to spend the next 100 and... 19 minutes with you, Miles, and you, anyone out there watching or listening, whether it's on Peacock, Sirius XM85, Sky Sports Action, although you'll see it later than now, or podcast, which obviously you listen to later than now. But it's nice for me. I need this today. I need this two hours to balance my life a little bit after recent events. Let's just leave it at that. And good morning. Okay. That's that's about the nicest thing you've ever said to me. So I I really appreciate that you know you actually want to do the show with me this morning. <laughs> Remember this day in various ways because I yeah, well, I, I showed up six minutes. Oh yeah, that was before airtime because of yesterday's snafu. It's the only time I will be that early until the day after the next snafu. which was contributed to by my, not tardiness, because the show hadn't started yet when I sat down, but nevertheless, I'm feeling good today just to be here Uh for now 118 minutes or maybe 117 and counting. A couple of points real quick, though. Okay. First of all, as I was mentioning earlier about people watching or listening, one thing I've learned in the aftermath of my illness on Monday, which caused me to miss a show for the first time in a very long time, if not ever in the morning, although I did have a walk-off one day because my stomach was bothering me and I just couldn't continue. And actually at about 15 till 7 Eastern this morning, I was starting to feel the same way, but it's passed for now. Ooh. I have learned that people consume the show on a daily basis, but they don't watch it that same day. A lot of the folks in the UK, because they watch it and listen to it for entertainment purposes, educational purposes, it's not as pressing to them 
to be on top of the news like maybe an American NFL fan would be because we're inundated with the most current events in the NFL and we feel like yesterday's show is stale today. Tuesday's show is rotted fish today. For a lot of the folks I'm learning in the UK, they are watching all of it, consuming all of it, but they may be a few days behind. So the stream of emails that began on Monday, the where are you, where's the show, why isn't it posted, where are the podcasts, what's wrong with you, what are the technical issues you're dealing with now, those have continued into this very morning because people are still in the process of catching up and still discovering that I wasn't here on Monday and there wasn't a show on Monday, so I'm still receiving and for some stupid reason responding to every email that comes in about it. And I don't, I don't mean it. I, it's not, I, I appreciate you, all of you out there. That you're excluded from this one, Miles. I appreciate you for doing oh, it. I appreciate you out there that oh. watch the show and feel compelled to contact me via email, even though it does become a little bit of a drain on my time. It's not individually all that difficult to do it, but when you take individually and you multiply it by an order of magnitude or two or three, it becomes a little more cumbersome. But long story bearable, if that, there's a lot of folks out there who don't watch the show every day, but watch every show. And that's kind of news to me after all these years of doing it, that that many people watch every show, but not on the day or the day after. But several days later, they're still catching up on the show. By the way, one last thing. And oh, okay. I, I hate to do this because it encourages more of the same. It's like why they don't whenever you say you hate to do something i i i don't i don't know what you're going with but whenever you're like oh i hate to do this it's like oh no he doesn't really it's just i'm gonna say it because no, I, I feel obligated to say i hate to do this yeah it's like with all due respect like whatever comes out of your mouth no. next whatever you know like what are we gonna do here and, and of course of course, anytime anyone says, I hate to do this, I'm reminded of the classic Warren Sapp story when he was eating a meal. Someone came up to him and said, I hate to bother you, but could I get a picture? And he said to the person, do you see any peas on my plate? And she said, no. And he said, do you know why? And she said, no. And he said, because I hate peas. So if you hate to bother me, why are you bothering me? I mean, it actually is as jerky, butthole-ish responses go. There's actually a lot of wisdom to it. Now, through it all, he could have just stood up and taken the damn photo and consumed less of his total time, uh, as I could have by simply not saying I hate to do this. Now, I, I really hate to do this because it encourages more of the same. It is the birthday of one of our viewers in Wales. And oh, nice. The problem is this. I don't know how to pronounce his first name. It is C-A-L-U-M. And I actually found a link in an effort to get the proper pronunciation of C-A-L-U-M. And the entry is as long and detailed as what it would be to build a hydrogen bomb. And I still didn't get an answer. It's either Callum or it's Column. I don't know. So... Happy birthday, Callum. Happy birthday, Callum. 26 years old today. That's my son age, which makes me feel incredibly old because I see 26 and I say, oh, he's getting up there. It's like, shit, my son's that old. So happy birthday, Callum. Happy birthday, Callum. And th that's the, the close of any business that I had for this morning unrelated to football.
happy birthday, Callum, or happy birthday, Callum. Well, I hope you have a great day, even though Mike Florio just swore when he was uh, saying happy birthday I to didn't. you. No, is... no, I didn't. No, I yes, didn't. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Um... No, I didn't. I did not. I learned last night if you say that enough times, they'll just move on. I did not. I did not. <laughs> enough with that. No, I didn't. Enough, enough with the stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I okay. Didn't... What? What? Enough with... I, I told what you what you're I... about. I... Yeah, you have no course. idea. Right. Yeah, you have I, no I, idea yeah. what the context of that conversation was. You don't know where oh, I learned that. Oh, right. Yes, of course I don't. Right, uh, because you were texting us the entire time, just like you were texting us the day before. I don't enough know what you're talking stuff. about. I don't yeah, know what you're talking uh, yeah. about. If I don't you know what you're about. If you say it enough times, maybe you can believe I, it. But I know it. You're not going to gas. I don't know what you're talking about. I think. Yeah, I think okay. there may be something wrong with you. Uh, yeah, all right, here we go. Something wrong with me. Uh, I know there's something wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the NFL today because this is the last of the offseason tent poles, other than Woo. the news that will continue to trickle out of the offseason programs. And there may be something that happens. It's often a lightning strike injury, a torn Achilles tendon. We're not looking forward to that. But my point is, this is the last big scheduled news event of the offseason. And I continue to be disappointed by the NFL's failure to take over the whole week. Just take over the whole week. You can parcel out the games Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You don't have to do all of it on Thursday with a little taste, just a little sliver on Wednesday is what we got yesterday. But we got another little unexpected slice last night when out of nowhere, it's announced that week 13, 49ers at Eagles, 425 p.m. Eastern, Fox NFC Championship rematch. It just seemed kind of random. I know that's one of the marquee games, and they're the two best teams on paper in the NFC. But just kind of random that that thing landed last night without any real warning. Just like boom, here it is. And I like it because again, that's what I've been arguing for. Start it Monday and work it out through today. You got 272 of these games you can announce, and there's a certain percentage of them that are worthy of taking the time to announce. So it's late in the season. It's really not going to, I think, spark a lot of conversation about what happened in January. But still, best two teams in the NFC on paper, they'll get together week 13 in Philadelphia at 425 p.m. Eastern Miles. Yeah, I mean, it's far and away the two best teams on paper in the NFC. And that's despite what the 49ers have going on at quarterback, which frankly, we we don't know what the hell is going to happen with Brock Purdy, with Trey Lance, with Sam Darnold of all people. And so, I mean, yeah, Brock Purdy is the leader in the clubhouse if he's healthy. We don't really necessarily know if he's going to be healthy, although he seems to be on track. That's everything that we've heard out of San Francisco. Um, but I, I like that this game is later on in the season because it just kind of ratchets up the intensity of it that much more. Same with uh, Cincinnati and Kansas City. It's like you kind of don't want to see that game too early on in the season because you know, we, we both think we think that Kansas City and Cincinnati and then San Francisco and Philadelphia are going to be probably the top four teams in the conference. I mean, it just kind of seems like it based on the way the last few years have gone. But, you know, you at least want to have those things later on so that we can really see the kind of bigger playoff implications. So I, I, I like this game being where it is. And this is going to be an obvious keep your eye on that one. Much will be determined that day, but that presumes both teams will have 
the same kind of season they had last year. And it will be relevant to the location of a rematch if there is one in the postseason, obviously. But one of the things I like about the flow of the early weeks of the actual season is as you keep looking ahead on the schedule, there are games that previously did not stand out that begin to stand out when the unlikely team starts to do really well. Mm-hmm. And then that week 17 Monday night game gets better and better. It happened last year with Bill's Bengals. And yes, obviously we know what happened that night, but you know, games become more and more significant as the season unfolds. So there's limited value to how significant a late season game ends. It seems significant now, but there's a lot of football to be played. There's a lot of life to be lived between now and December four when those two teams get together. But that's the latest piece that we've gotten. One other thing I do want to mention, because this occurred to me yesterday, when we were divvying up assignments for tonight when the schedule comes out, usually I take the Sunday night football schedule because it's NBC and I'll break it down and comment on it, whatever. I claimed the Thursday night Amazon schedule this year because that one to me is fascinating, Miles. Yeah. And I understand I'm deviating from the schedule of the show, but that's okay. You didn't read it. I've already deviated from it five different ways. So, and Pete tells me it's okay as if I would have stopped if he had said anything else, but thank you, Pete. I appreciate the endorsement to continue down Mm -hmm. this rabbit hole. That Thursday night Amazon schedule is going to be very telling because we got so focused on the, the flexing of the late season games that I think a lot of people missed that even though the commissioner didn't get what he wanted, he still got something pretty good and arguably better. The ability to schedule preemptively teams twice for short week games. Sunday, Thursday. So what are we going to see? Are we going to see a smorgasbord of every team? Or are they going to load it up with Chiefs twice, Cowboys twice? Or we already know that we get a short week Thursday night or Thursday afternoon game anyway on Thanksgiving, but they could do the following Thursday with the Cowboys, and they could do another short week. So they could still land on Amazon twice this year. So and, and I think they did do two short weeks with the Cowboys last year and kind of they slipped did. that through everyone's five hole without any real discussion or acknowledgement. So mm-hmm. the flip side of that, this is what dawned on me yesterday. You're going to have a bunch of bad teams or teams that are perceived to be bad that don't have to play Sunday to Thursday a single time. At a certain mm-hmm. point, you get a competitive issue there. You get a competitive imbalance. You're going to drag down the best teams – with multiple Thursday turnarounds after playing on Sunday, then you've got the teams you thought were going to be bad that don't have to do it at all, and one of those teams gets hot, and they don't have that burden of ever having to go Sunday, Thursday, and you're talking about razor-thin margins when we're determining playoff seeding and how a game ends, and you never know what's going to make the difference in the final analysis. I just think, and and we, we, you know, we thought about health and safety implications on a broader basis for the players who have to do it, but when you look at good teams having to do it twice, bad teams not having to do it at all, that could be an issue when it's time to do the playoff trees, Miles. Well, it's it's interesting because you think about Detroit last year, right? Standalone games, primetime games, what have you. The only Sunday to Thursday or kind of standalone game that they initially had was on Thanksgiving. And so everything else for them initially was supposed to start Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern. And then they, of course, end up getting flexed into that last game of the season um, against Green Bay. And that kind of puts them in prime time. But I think that there are probably a few teams 
that could be looking at something like that, where you don't necessarily have to deviate from the, let's call it the norm of each and every week. I and mean, look at the NFC South. When do you really want to see those teams in prime time? I mean, maybe the Falcons, because they supposedly have a good complement of weapons, but who the, I mean, we don't necessarily know much about them at quarterback. I don't really want to see Tampa Bay very much in prime time. I mean, Bryce Young is interesting, but I mean, I, I don't really know what he's going to look like. Um, as a rookie on that offense and the New Orleans Saints. I'm sorry, I'm not really that excited by Derek Carr. So it's one of those things where, yeah, if you don't necessarily want to schedule that division on a Thursday because it's not all that interesting, maybe a couple of those teams aren't going to be featured in that kind of primetime slot. And that could be advantageous for them if they do end up getting hot. By the way, Derek, it is Miles with an A Simmons. Miles A Simmons on Twitter when you go to block him for what he okay. just said. You I'm won't. sorry, Derek Carr. So, I covered him on a day-to-day basis too. Whoops. But but we see we we see that and and yet you emerged from it without picking up his country accent periodically. Um, Whoa. The, the uh, what's my point? Oh, what well, does he not have? A yeah. Period, and, and people say to me, Ad "Well, he is from Texas. He is from Twitter. Texas." <laughs> I'm already blocked. I'm already okay, blocked. Well, you can't block me twice. Right. <laughs> I'm already blocked. I got blocked a long time ago for something that I don't doing? even know what I said. All right. <laughs> um. So, anyway, I I just think that that the obsession with boosting the streaming audience because that's what this is ultimately about. They already got Jeff Bezos' name on the contract. They don't need to give him better games to get him to keep paying the money. This is about delivering larger audiences to streaming so that more people will embrace streaming. This is a cultural shift, the likes of which we've never seen before. God, I used to not be bothered by that phrase, but for some reason I now am. But anyway, (laughs) that's three. Anyway, (laughs) anyway, um, they want to attract people from traditional TV to TV anywhere on your tablet, desktop, laptop, phone. And yeah. I think they were disappointed last year by the numbers. And that's why there was this quest last year to pump the numbers up, make the numbers larger. It's not just to have more advertising dollars, which is part of it, but the NFL's power to continue to gather as many millions together as it has, it is going to be diluted to some degree in the looming shift from network to streaming. Now, I think the next deals will be a hybrid of the two, but mm-hmm. eventually, eventually it's all going to be streaming. Eventually, that's what we're all right. going to be doing. Eventually, yeah, I mean, there's not going to be over the air. There's not going to be cable. There's not going to be any of it. It's all going to be streaming. Peacock, that's going to be the way NBC content is delivered, live or tape delay or whatever. So my point is this. They need those numbers to be big, and they're going to load a bunch of great games this year into Amazon's schedule, I believe, in an effort to get those numbers higher. And it could work to the detriment of the good teams and to the unexpected advantage of the bad teams. It it could, but I think – when I'm thinking about this, I think about what Roger Goodell was saying um, at the league meetings uh, in, in Arizona 
and Shireen and I were at that press conference when this really stood out to me when he said, you know, when they're talking about Thursday night flexing, he says, you know, what John Maris said may be true about the fans in the stadium, but there are also millions of fans who watch on television. And we also have to think about what those fans are doing. And so I think it is going to be about serving the largest number of fans when, and we think about that whenever we talk about the schedule, right? What are the good primetime games and this and that, and, and you know, people watch football, It's one of the few things that will actually get people in front of a television and actually watching things live. So that's where you're going to see the NFL want to load things up in such a way that induces people to want to watch. And I guess that does benefit us all as consumers because, hell, I mean, I want to watch the best games and I think the best game should be in standalone times. And we'll just see how that works out on the schedule. Hey, as somebody who spends every Sunday trying to watch up to nine games at once, sometimes ten, I prefer standalone. I prefer one at a time. And somebody said to me once, well, why don't you just go back and watch the games one at a time? Do you realize how difficult that is when you know the outcome of the game? (laughs) I am far less interested in watching a game that I know the outcome to. That's the bulk of the fun. It's unknown. It's uncertain. And and you can learn. Look, I, I, I get it. But... There's only so many hours in the day, and it's very That's difficult true. to go back. And, like, I've tried to, and I still will try to watch games while I'm working. But how much attention do you really pay to the game? It's you hard. get, you know, you hear, it's like listen to a talk radio program. You may pick some nuggets up, and there may be some moment where you stop and watch the replay, but you don't watch it the same way that you watch a game. I like to sit down and watch it unfold in real time with no fast-forward with no knowledge of what happens. I like to go in fresh, as Frank Costanza once said, when George and his fiance's father were talking about what happened in, I can't remember the name of the movie. Was it Firestorm? I don't think it was Firestorm. It may have been Firestorm. Anyway, uh, Frank Costanza got very upset because he wants to go in fresh. I want to go into my football games fresh. And the point is this. I want to watch as many as I can stand alone. That's why I think it's a matter of time before they play Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and I will be happy when they do. I would gladly spend every night of the week watching a live football game during football season. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. And it was Firestorm. Okay, great. Congratulations on getting your Seinfeld reference that I didn't understand right. Very well. My goal is to pollute your brain with as many Seinfeld references and clips as possible that you will have over the accumulation of your life, seeing the entire series, even though you never watched a single episode. That is one of my missions, and I have accepted it, and I am in the process of fulfilling it. Okay, Uh, we're in the process of fulfilling our obligation to actually get through what we had planned to talk about today. By the way, the full schedule release tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern, NFL Network, NFL Plus, and right here on Peacock. The full schedule release, tune in, and we'll have full coverage at PFT, as we always do of everything happening in the NFL. Yesterday, Jordan Love, the new Packers quarterback, the guy they hope becomes the third in the chain that goes Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love. He spoke to reporters about various things. Here he is talking about his approach to the offseason now that he eventually has become the guy in Green Bay. The whole offseason, you know, I approached it that uh, I'd be the starter. So um, that was just my mindset going into it. Um, I couldn't really control what happened going forward. Um, it was out of my control, but uh, that was kind of the approach I took to it and just went from there. 
you approach it the same way in recent years, or was that different this year that you approached it as the starter as soon as the season ended? No, I did the same thing I, I do. You know, I go to the off season and uh, begin my training elsewhere, but uh, approach it the same way. It's exciting. Um, I think there's a lot of energy around it um, for myself, and you know, I think I can kind of step up and um, be a little bit more vocal and things like that, knowing that I'm the guy um, and not being a backup. And that's it. After three years of sitting on the bench, just like Aaron Rodgers did, Jordan Love now the guy. I was surprised this weekend to see Sean Clifford, the rookie that the Packers drafted, is actually older than Jordan Love by roughly six months. So even though Jordan Love has sat for a while, he's still got plenty of football ahead of him, and now he has an opportunity to really seize that baton and and do something that has been unprecedented. He's got a long way to go to prove to even be a consistent starter, but still, he's in a spot where he's not following just one great, he's following back-to-back greats. And the closest that I've had anyone argue to me would be a comparison would be Drew Brees to Phillip Rivers to Justin Herbert with the Chargers, but Drew Brees wasn't Drew Brees until Drew Brees left the Chargers, so it's not really the same. Mm -hmm. Great with the Packers, Favre, Rodgers, and now Love steps into that, and this is it. He's finally getting his chance. He's getting his shot, and it'll be fun to see what he does, and I think he's going to be better than people realize, and it may take a while. It took a while for Rodgers. It may take a while for Love. I I think that Love is in a really good spot with Matt LaFleur as his head coach. I mean, Matt LaFleur knows how to coach offense. He understands how to develop quarterbacks, and so if you're Jordan Love, that's a good situation for you to be in. But, you know, one thing that stands out to me, Mike, is when he's talking, he says, oh, no, I, I approached it the same way. You know, I approached the last three years. I did this and I did that. And that's all well and good. And I understand that players say that kind of stuff all the time. But you cannot tell me and you cannot convince me that this offseason, Jordan Love did not have a different mentality than he did in the last two years. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. If you know that Aaron Rodgers is on his way out the door and you are going to be the starter, that changes something up here. And if it doesn't change something up here, then I I don't know what to tell you, man, because the mentality has to be different. It has to be. And it's not just that, you know, oh, I think that Jordan Love wasn't working hard before. I don't think he was seizing his opportunities before. No, it's just that when you know you are the guy, he said it himself. You know you can be more vocal. You know that it is your huddle. It's your offense. And you're not just kind of babysitting the role during the offseason program for when Aaron Rodgers makes his return for mandatory minicamp and then training camp. I, I, I get why he says it. But I know that there must have been something different in his mentality because there has to be because it's a very different role when you are no longer the understudy to Aaron Rodgers. You are actually the Packers quarterback. Especially because if you do anything that is even remotely presumptuous while Aaron Rodgers is still there, the first person you're going to hear about it from is Aaron Rodgers. He will slap you down. I mean, the whole Brett Favre-Aaron Rodgers relationship is chronicled in Jeff Perlman's Gunslinger. Now, I don't know how much Rodgers would agree with it. I don't know if he was ever asked about any of the reporting in there. But, you know, Rodgers was a little too big for his britches early on. Not that that would really surprise anyone. And Favre had to had to deal with that a little bit. And I think Jordan Love, look, we've never heard anything. There's never been any suggestion of an issue. I think Jordan Love has been deferential and respectful 
to Aaron Rodgers every step of the way, and now 100%. he becomes the guy as they always thought he was going to be. And my guess is somebody pulled him aside not long after they drafted him and explained to him how this is going to go. You're going to be able to sit. You're going to be able to learn. You're going to be able to watch. You're going to be well compensated, and your time will come. Trust us, your time will come. At times it may feel like it's never going to come, but your time definitely will arrive. That's part of what else Love talked about, waiting for three years. And also Aaron Jones, Packers running back, who bridges that Rodgers to Love handoff. He talked about how the team is currently behind the new starting quarterback. Here's both of them. I mean, I'll admit, I think the hardest time was when he re-signed the contract last year. It was kind of like, okay, well, where do we go from here? Um, what do I do? Um, and I think I, you know, sat back, kind of thought to myself and just came back with the approach like, just go ball out. Any opportunity I get, you know, I'm going to get preseason. Um, and who knows what happens after that. So uh, just grow and try and become the best version of myself. And I can't really control what happens after that. So just let it play out. And we've seen him just come in con- con- consistently and uh, just work, 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 you know. And thing, as as an athlete, you know, you, you want to come in and play right away. And that's, that wasn't Jordan's case. He didn't have that opportunity. And, you know, he did it the right way. He waited his time. And you never heard one, one people complain out of him. So um, he has everybody's respect. And he works as well, just like everybody else. So um, we all love Jordan here. And like I said, he has everybody's full respect. And uh, we're going to go lay it out on the line for him. One of the benefits for Jordan Love was that he and Rodgers are represented by the same agency. So when Rodgers does that three-year contract, Love at least has an avenue, a pathway to ask the question, what does this mean for me? How do we harmonize this next move in Aaron Rodgers' career with my broader career interests? And, And there was a little flicker of recognition that one of his options may have been I'm out. I'm done. I want to go somewhere else. This guy's going to be here longer than I intend to sit on the bench. And that's always been kind of on the edge of the radar screen for the Packers. If you push it too far with Rodgers, you're going to lose love. And even though it was it, it wasn't seamless, because how will it ever be seamless when you're dealing with a situation like this? They found a way to keep Rodgers as long as they wanted to and pivot to love at the closest thing possible to the right time before losing him, and now they're set up to go forward. They, they, they benefited from the backslide last year. Whatever the reason, whatever the causes, was it the beginning and the end for Rodgers? Was it the, the team around him? Was it something else? Regardless, it was enough of a dip in overall team performance and Rodgers' performance to make it easier to rip the Band-Aid off once and for all and move to Jordan Love before it was too late. And I think if Rodgers would have stayed one more year, it would have gotten too late to salvage Jordan Love. Yes, I would agree with you. Wait, because, I mean, who knows what would have happened if the Packers would have played better last year, if maybe Aaron Rodgers had seemed a little bit more invested early on in getting those young receivers up to speed, like we saw with Patrick Mahomes, you know, and then maybe the beginning of the season goes a little bit differently. Who knows? But because everything played out the way it did, and the Packers didn't even end up making the postseason, yeah, it does make things easier to transition from 
Aaron Rodgers, where you see, well, maybe he did kind of dip in performance. Maybe he's not necessarily that guy as much as he was in the last couple of years where he was the MVP. And now you have somebody in Jordan Love who you believe in because you went up and you drafted him in the first round. And also, I I think that those kind of few appearances, one we're seeing now that he had against Philadelphia, where he comes in and it's like, it's not only setting the world on fire, but you see that he has the rhythm and the timing in the offense. He's got the confidence to get the ball down the field to some of these young guys. I I think that that matters. And it's something that Jordan Love talked a little bit about yesterday where it's like, well, you know, yeah, you played in the preseason. Yeah, you had the start against Kansas City. Yeah, you had that stuff against the Eagles. And I think somebody asked him, well, what's more valuable? And he says, well, it's all valuable because all of it is experience and all of it has now led him to feel where he feels in this offense. And so I think that we're going to see somebody that is confident, that does know what to do with the football. And we'll just have to see if that actually translates into the Packers being a top half of the league offense, because in theory, the scheme should allow him to be that. But he still has to go out there and execute it. And and frankly, we really don't know how he's going to be able to execute that stuff. This is an exercise we're going to do next segment with other young quarterbacks. But scale of 1 to 10 for Jordan Love. How much is he set up for success this year with the Green Bay Packers? Nine. He, because he's been there wow. and it's not like he's gone through coaching changes. So, But I mean this in the sense that if you sit for three years, Mike, and you're a first round pick and now you have been in the same offense, you're not going to have a different guy in your ear than you would have. You've got the same position coach. Yeah, they, they've had different offensive coordinators. But again, Matt LaFleur is the one calling the plays. If he's not set up for success, then what the hell have they been doing the last few years, right? I mean, they, they have good weapons. They have a decent offensive line. I, there's no excuse for Jordan Love not succeeding unless he's just not necessarily good enough. I think the situation is right for him. I mean, what would you say? Well, I'd say more like seven because we still haven't seen him play. And more importantly, we haven't seen him play enough so that defenses can begin to game plan to stop him. It takes some time. You can have an artificial reality of what a guy looks like and then it softens after there's enough film out there and you have answers for what he's doing and he the coaching staff they can't come up with ways to take advantage of how the defense pivots to take away whatever it is they figured out he's doing so that's going to be part of this transition once we get four to six games into his career when we see what the Packers offense looks like with Jordan Love at quarterback things could be a little more challenging also We showed that graphic of the supporting cast offensively. Defensively, there needs to be some some improvement because obviously if you've got a a not great defense, it puts more pressure on the offense. And talk to Kevin O'Connell, speaking of teams with great offenses and horrible defenses, a couple of days ago, and I asked him, would you rather get Jordan Love early while he's still green in this offense or would you rather get him later when he's more experienced, but you can properly game plan. You have enough film. And, you know, even though O'Connell gave me a lot of great answers, very candid responses, he he didn't give me an answer on that one. But I I, I guess a defensive coach, I, I if I had asked Brian Flores that question, he would rather face him later because he'd have more information and ammunition for coming up with a good game plan to stop Jordan Love. 
a lot of it early on, you just don't know what you're going to get. And the teams that face the Packers the first couple of weeks are going to be the guinea pigs defensively for the rest of the league to figure out what this offense is going to look like with Rodgers out and Jordan Love in. So that, that's going to make those early games for the Packers fascinating. We're going to see today, week one, two, three, four, uh, they're going to be the ones who get the first taste of what this team is now going to be with Jordan Love. Yeah, the first quarter of the season is going to tell us a lot, even though the season isn't quarters anymore because there's not 16 games or 17, but you understand what I'm saying. It's going to tell us a lot about where Jordan Love is in the offense, and that's what I mean when I'm saying – you know, he's set up well. I, I think, you know, when you say we don't know how he's going to play, well, certainly we don't. But if you're talking about what the situation is, I, like I said, it's the same offense, right? And also what you mentioned, defenses aren't necessarily going to know how he is going to approach every single week, every single game. What does he like? What's his best throw? What's his worst throw? I mean, internally, the Packers should know that they've had him for three years. Externally, we as you know, a media public and also defensive coordinators, they don't necessarily know that. So that's why I think he is set up well for success. It's just we, we don't know how he's going to execute. Jordan Love also addressed the relationship with Aaron Rodgers, the things he learned, the time he spent watching Rodgers play, but for that limited slice that we saw. And then there was a game, the COVID game in 2021 as well, where Jordan Love got to play. And he wasn't as bad in that game as people thought, just because he didn't score many points. It doesn't mean he got, you know, he got thrust into it without a lot of preparation and uh, game plans already set up one way. And regardless, and, and he wasn't Matt as bad LaFleur, then as Ma- a lot of Matt people LaFleur, thought. Yeah, Matt LaFleur has said that he does not like the way that he called that game. You know, he's, he's said that he felt like he should have run the ball more. And he didn't necessarily set up Jordan Love as well as he could have for success. So I, I think that that's just a sort of important sidebar to that. And that's a good point. Here is Love with some reflections from yesterday on his time with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. I mean, I learned a lot. I mean, I learned, I was just able to watch a great quarterback, how he works every day, um, how he handles business in the locker room, interacts with teammates, um, just how he attacks every day. I mean, just being able to sit back as a quarterback and observe him, observe how, you know, his footwork um, how the ball comes out of his hands, um, and just how he practices every day, and then takes that into the game. Um, I mean, there's it's just very valuable stuff that I was able to sit for three years and kind of just pick his brain on and just watch him work. So, Have you had any communication with him since the trade went down? Yeah, we, we talked after the trade. Um, just kind of just wish you the best, you know, going forward. He wished me the best and, you know, always there for me if I need anything, if I have any questions or anything. But I'm always just grateful to be around him and uh, for the time I had with him to be able to learn and be behind him. It's very grateful for me. It is encouraging that Rodgers didn't treat Jordan Love poorly because Love was the personification of the dysfunction in Green Bay. He was the guy that they brought in without telling Aaron Rodgers, the guy they brought in to take his place. And it looks like Rodgers was able to set that aside and have a real relationship with Jordan Love. And that that's encouraging because I'm not so sure Brett Favre did that with Aaron Rodgers. I think that may be why they got off on the wrong foot because Favre viewed Rodgers as the, 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 the thing that he didn't expect them to do, even though he was 
waffling and wishy-washy about retirement for years before they finally decided to protect themselves. So I got to give Rogers credit there because unless Jordan Love is just saying all the right things because he doesn't want to have an open feud with Aaron Rodgers, which isn't impossible, it sounds like they had a real relationship and that Rodgers didn't take any of his frustration with the front office out on Love. Well, I mean, you would hope that Aaron Rodgers would have learned from his own experience, right? It, where it was not his choice to go to Green Bay. It was just that Green Bay was the team that drafted him, right? It, it's the same thing with Jordan Love. He didn't choose to go to Green Bay. I mean, I don't know that Jordan Love would have chose to uh, sit behind somebody for three years and not play. I mean, that kind of alludes to what Aaron Jones was talking about, right? He's a competitor. He wants to be on the field, but I, I think it is good. And I would agree with you. And I can't believe you said it, that you got to give Aaron Rodgers some credit somewhere. Maybe he will want to read that kind of crap from Mike Florio, but I, I think it's right that we look. No, no, at no. How Aaron Rodgers no, read none of the crap. No, 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 no. Uh, I didn't let that can't, get past Can't you, pick huh? and choose through the crap. No, can't pick and oh, choose through the crap. If you're going to read none of that crap, you can't even read the good crap. Wow. All right. Well, I guess we now know how you feel about that uh, with Aaron Rodgers. But I, I think that it is worth crediting him for the way that he apparently treated Jordan Love. Right. And especially if you say, hey, if you have any questions, you can ask me. It's kind of nice, I guess, that those two teams don't face off against each other this year because then it might be a little bit different. Right. And you're not necessarily going to see that. But I think that one thing Jordan Love also could have learned from Aaron Rodgers is how he doesn't necessarily want to interact with his teammates, how he would do things a little bit differently. And that's something that you can observe and learn, I should say, by observing somebody else who is in the position that you ultimately want to have. So I, and he didn't say that, but I think that is something that, you know, whenever you're watching somebody and you're like, OK, one day I'm going to do that job. How would I do things the same and how would I do things differently and how can I adapt things and make them work for me? Well, to the extent that you're watching me, just remember this, whatever I do, do the opposite. Another Seinfeld reference that will be lost on you forever. OK, okay so yeah, right. uh, one last note. This came from ESPN yesterday. Reportedly, the Packers did not want the conditional pick in the Rodgers trade, the two that becomes a one. They didn't want it to be tied to wins because their position is it's up to the Jets to win. And if you can't win with Aaron Rodgers, that's on you. The Jets still agreed to it. And I still think it's concerning that Rodgers could miss nearly six full games of snaps and that two still becomes a one. And that the wheels could fall off. And when they see this schedule tonight and they say, oh, crap, we got some tough games. It's going to be difficult to make it to the playoffs. We may have a top 10 draft pick. And if Aaron plays 11 games, that pick goes to Green Bay. No questions asked. No limitations. No protections. I mean, in theory, the first overall pick in the draft could go to the Green Bay Packers next year from the Jets. As long as Aaron Rodgers take 65% of the snaps, that's all that matters. But the Packers' attitude was, it's on you to take this great quarterback and have a great season and knock that first-round pick down as low as it can be. Yes, of course it is. I mean, but why are you doing the trade unless you think that Aaron Rodgers can be that for you? So, I mean, you know, don't don't make trades scared. Don't make trades scared that, you know, this first-round pick is going to be a high pick. 
you feel like your roster is at a place where if you add this quarterback, you're going to be put over the top. You're going to be a Super Bowl contender. So, yeah, it is on the Jets to make sure that that happens. And if I'm the Jets, I don't necessarily want to play scared like that. I get that you want some kind of protection, but, you know, don't don't be scared when you're making bold moves. Yeah, I still – now, look, I – That's good. No, I'm you're a lawyer and you, you go to worse – yeah, there you go. But you go to worst case scenario all the time, and that's you. It, no, it works going, well, in some ways, but that's that is worst case scenario. Like in theory, it could be the number one overall pick. That's worst case scenario. That that's something catastrophic happened, right? I mean, that, that I don't think that anyone thinks that the Jets are going to be that bad, do they? Well, the idea that Rodgers would play at least eleven point oh five games worth of snaps and they'd be the number one overall pick in the draft—that's some weird stuff that would have to happen that outcome but as i've said before when you litigate you learn how to anticipate worst case scenarios because almost every piece of litigation out there civil particularly is the result of an unanticipated worst case scenario or an unforeseen worst case scenario coming to fruition otherwise you wouldn't be in court trying to sort out exactly who did what to whom who said what to whom who owes what to whom so that's what makes you a better advisor the more you've been in court and seen what happens when it all hits the fan, you can help guide people around avoiding even getting there. So, yes. so don't, don't, don't hate because I go straight to the worst case scenario. It's prudent to go to the worst case scenario, but what is the best case scenario miles? And, and, and again, I was starting to say this before I sidetracked myself. I'm due to talk to Joe Douglas later today. I don't want to preview or tip my hand to the extent that they're paying attention to anything I may say. And it's not a, a, a look, these conversations are all very positive, but, but I'm just curious what success means. Is it Super Bowl or bust? Is it some other definition? Everybody says they want to win the Super Bowl, but what is the line of demarcation where if you're the Jets and you end up giving up your first round pick next year, what is it that makes you say at the end of the day it was worth it? Is it being in prime time? Is that part of it, being in prime time seven times this year? Is it all those standalone games? Is it having your stadium full? Is it being the talk of the league? Is that part of what makes it a victory? When I asked Eric DaCosta last week about why they overpaid yeah. Odo Beckham Jr., he talked about how he you know, sells jerseys and put people in the stands. Like That is part of the analysis. It isn't just we have to go get our fingerprints on the Lombardi Trophy. So I'm going to try to find out what Joe Douglas thinks success is. Where's that? There's got to be a line somewhere. Where's that line between pass or fail on the Aaron Rodgers trade? Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought up the Eric DaCosta stuff because that's exactly where I was going to go with it. It, it. There is some stuff in the larger picture of why you go and you make a move to bring in a high-profile player. It does put butts in the seats. It does sell jerseys. It does elevate excitement. And the Jets knew they could not go into this 2023 season with Zach Wilson as their quarterback. But, I mean, if I'm Joe Douglas and you ask me that question, the answer is going to be, hey, you know, we just want, to make sure that we are putting ourselves in the best position to be successful. I don't know if we can say that there is some kind of line of demarcation between success and failure. I mean, why would you, you can't say that publicly in mid-May. And again, I respect you for one to ask a question, right? It's not that, but it's more or less, 
Like we have to put ourselves in the best position to win. And, you know, we want to, first of all, win our division. Being the champions of the AFC East, which is something we haven't done in a Stones age, right? We've got to be able to make sure that we said we've done everything we can to put ourselves in position to win the AFC East. And then once you get into the tournament, we won't know what's going to happen until we get there. But if we can win the AFC East and, you know, we can put ourselves in position to have a home playoff game, then that is going to at least set us up to have some kind of success this season. You think I did a good job as a GM? Well, yeah, I think I think it's good. You know, we we not only gave him the question, but we also gave him the answer. So, <laughs> Joe, you've got a couple of hours, if you're listening, to come up with your own answer. You can use Miles' answer, and it really would be funny if he types out and reads word for word what you just said when I ask him what is the line of demarcation between pass and fail. But at some point, and this is where your Browns, I think, failed miserably in 2019. They got so intoxicated by the unexpected late-season success in 2018 that they never spent time reeling in expectations for 2019. The bar was way too high for the Freddie Kitchens Cleveland Browns of 2019. And I think that's where the business side of your organization gets caught up in Hey, people actually want to come to our games. Hey, people actually want to watch our games on TV. Hey, people actually want to buy Baker Mayfield jerseys and Miles Garrett jerseys. And they actually want to Odell buy Beckham our material, our merchandise. Yeah. So so <laughs> I at some point the adults gotta show up into the room and temper the expectations. And that's what I'm giving Joe Douglas a chance to do today to temper the expectations. Will he do that? Will he take advantage of a chance to temper expectations? Or is he all in too? Because, I mean, the problem is you want to have some safe harbor if the thing goes sideways. And you, yeah. they've got a crippling schedule. And we're going to find out tonight how many of those tough games are going to be right out of the gates. When are they going to see Dallas? That's the big takeaway from the Black Friday game featuring the Jets. We sure aren't going to see the Jets at the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. They're not going to be not, playing yeah. the Dolphins at home the next day. So where's that game land? When do they when do they when do they face the the Bills the first time? When's the first game against the Dolphins? Is it Black Friday and they play them again after that? When do they face the Chiefs? When do they have the Eagles? When do when do they visit the Giants? When do they go to Cleveland to play your Browns, who may be a hell of a lot better this year? They're flying under the radar screen. Nobody's paying attention to them because, yeah. you know, they they have been underachieving for two straight seasons. That could be a tough. There's a lot of tough games there. Once we see, oh. it's one thing to look at that graphic. It's another thing to look at week one, week two, week three, all the way to week 18. It feels different when you see the gauntlet that you have to run. And we're going to see it tonight. And it could be alarming for some Jets fans. Well, what's the easy game there, right? I mean, Raiders? Broncos, Texans, I mean, those are the only ones where it's like, eh, you know, the Jets really should be able to take care of us. And the Browns, I suppose. I mean, the although the Browns would may be take better. Broncos out of that, I would take Broncos out of that category. I think with Sean Payton there, yeah. they're going to be better. Raiders, well, relative. It's all relative. Yeah. I mean, I know. And, and look, the Texans, I think, are the only one that stands out as the, if you don't win that one, there's something wrong with you. Because Falcons, still I would, I would a work in progress. Uh, Falcons are I've also working progress. To the last but... two years, that's one. But that's one where the Jets can step on a rake if they're not ready. See, that's the thing. Yeah. This is a team 
that has not been a measuring stick for anyone for years is now right. the measuring stick. And all they've done to become the measuring stick is they got hot early last year, then it all fell apart, and now they have Aaron Rodgers. And now they're a measuring stick team. So every team on that schedule that sees Jets, they're going to they're gonna circle it and circle it and circle it, and they're going to be ready for that game. And every single week, the Jets are going to be getting the A game of every team on that schedule. So the danger when you face the Browns. Danger when you face the Commanders. Danger when you face the Texans and the Falcons. Then those are your break weeks. That's your escape from the meat grinder. They're still going to grind your meat when, when, when you. Sorry, I, what when, now? When you face those, when you face those other teams. Um, I would just want to add that when you say all they've done, as I blow past whatever it was you just said there, uh, they've put together a defense that can really compete very, very well. And so when you add one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time to that and you have a good complement of weapons offensively, yeah, you're uh, you're going to, I think, in theory, just, be in position go ahead. to do more than just kind of grind someone's meat. Is that what you But you still, haven't, you still haven't done it. That's the thing. The point is this. It's, it's kind of like, the Bills last year, when the Bengals had just gone to the Super Bowl and mm-hmm. the and everybody's on the Bills, it's like, no, not us, them. <laughs> not us. Well, okay. The Lions this year. The Lions. You, what have the right, Lions but, I mean, done you, you to be the, the measuring talking, stick? First of all, you were the one who was going all, oh, well, Bills this, Bills that, and can the Bills live up to the pressure? Can they do this and that? No, 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 no. no, no. So, like, that was, but, yeah, exactly. That was like That's my point. Last year. I know. So, I mean, I think that if you have – a quarterback like an Aaron Rodgers, you don't necessarily have the can they do X, Y. Like, yeah, I, but I think also, you know, that division is going to be really, really tough, right? The Dolphins are very good, and they added Vic Fangio, and hopefully Tua Tungavailoa is going to be healthy. Uh, the Bills are still the juggernauts in that division, and as long as they have Josh Allen, they're going to be that. So, you know, I don't think that anybody is right now being like, oh, man, the Jets have to – do X, Y, and Z. Otherwise, they're total failures. Like, no, I mean, it, they've no, done the thing no, where no. they can set themselves here's my, up well. Here's my point. You're, you're twisting my point. My point is oh, this. There is no road apple. There, there is. Can I finish? There the is food. no road apple. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. There is no road apple. On on the schedule on the road to for the grinding Jets your meat. There's never an easy week. There's never there's never an easy week for the Jets. And what have they done to deserve it? That's my point. This is a Super Bowl mindset. This is what the Chiefs are going to face. And the Jets haven't even been to the playoffs in in when? When was the last time they were right. in the playoffs? I can't remember. I can't remember much because, again, I got sick last weekend and it operated as a, as a hard reset on my brain. Another game has been announced. Should we tell them now or should we do it after the break? Okay. A Christmas game. It's a Christmas miracle. We'll tell you what it is when PFT Live continues right after this. <laughs> 